You're listening to Deep Pockets by Investa, a podcast where we feature some of the best traders and business people in the industry to help you grow your finances and pursue your passion. Let's have a business talk, mga ka-Investa. Alright, what's up mga ka-Investa? Welcome back to the Investa Learn Business Talk. And again, today we have a very special guest, Mr. Alvin Aguilar. Hello, sir. Hey guys. Hello, hello. Thank you for having me over. Thank you, sir. So, before we begin, no, let me introduce who Mr. Alvin, if, Mr. Alvin is if you don't know him yet. So, Mr. Alvin is the pioneer of MMA in the Philippines, mixed martial arts. He's the president and founder of URCC Global or Universal Reality Combat Championship. So, he's also the founder of DevTac Philippines, the largest BJJ team in Asia. He is the president of the Wrestling Association of the Philippines, a member of the Philippine Olympic Committee. He is a third-degree black belt under Saulo and Shanji Hibero, and he was the first Filipino to be awarded with a black belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and owns the Banff MMA Center in Paranaque. So without further ado, welcome back to the show. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. All right, so I said welcome back kasi third time na yata namin tinray shoot because of internet. It's bad in the Philippines. But okay, uh, of course, this is a business podcast. And of course, Mr. Alvin is the leading entrepreneur when it comes to the combat sports industry. But before we dig into the business stuff, uh, let's try to get to know where all of this started. So again, Sir Alvin, uh, what started your interest in the martial arts? Well, as a kid, um, you know, my parents made me watch martial arts films. My grandfather was a martial artist. My father was a martial artist. Uh, they both made me watch all these martial arts films and I watched the ninja films and ever since I wanted to be one of those. And, uh, you know, my, my path in martial arts took me to everything. I started with, uh, you know, karate, wrestling, boxing, Filipino martial arts, jiu-jitsu. And until now, I'm still trying to learn as much as I can. All right. I think I asked yesterday, how did you, did you ever encounter any martial art related to the ninjas? Because, <laughs> of course, that's what piqued your interest. Okay, uh, one of the oldest martial arts in, uh, in Japan is Jiu-Jitsu. That's the forerunner of, uh, of Judo. And uh, Ninjitsu, by the name, a lot of that came from uh, Jiu-Jitsu as well. So when, in the 1500s, uh, that's when the first Jiu-Jitsu school came up. But it was basically a conglomeration of all the accepted grappling and martial arts styles already present in Japan. Oh, okay, okay. So... What made you decide to focus on Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu? Well, um, well, there's a lot of things that, uh, you know, I, well, my personal favorite, of course, is uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and Filipino martial arts. People don't, well, the thing I like about Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is there's always something new to learn, just like all the other martial arts. But in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, you see it right away. Like every week, there's something new. Every week, every day. I mean, you know, even if you just scroll to, to YouTube and the internet and on different learning sites, you'll see there's always something new. There's always a new concept. And it's like, you know, it's, there's just so much that you have to grasp. And it's just so nice. It's, I mean, the, it's just it, that's, that basically is, symbolizes my, my path in the martial arts because I see everything and I just want to learn it all and understand everything. So that's why, you know, I like Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and, of course, Filipino martial arts. All right. All right. So yesterday, I think you mentioned that you studied under the Gracies, one of the founders of UFC. So I, I asked the question, what was the training like under the Gracies? 
and okay. you said that it wasn't super intense. Can you can you explain to the audience? Okay, when uh, when you first start, they they do the moves very very slow, just like any jujitsu school. You know, they don't. You know, you don't. It doesn't. People have the impression that when you go and you you fight right away, you get your ass kicked, you get bloodied up. It's not like that. Mm-hmm. Actually, I thought it was going to be like that because a lot of the martial arts I took were like that. You know, you come in, you get your ass kicked, and after that, if you don't come back, ah, it's not for you. So, um, so when I went in there, it was a beautiful gym. I mean, uh, it smelled good. And the mats were so clean. I was, it was something I was totally, you know, not used to because all the gyms here before used to be like underground, you know. It was, wasn't clean, you know. But it was so clean and everything. And then everybody was so nice. So Horian came out and then um, talked to me and my father and introduced me to Hoyce. Um, Hoyce Gracie uh, was the first UFC champion as well. And then later on, I met their father, Helio Gracie, who was the founder of Gracie Jiu-Jitsu, along with uh, his brother, Carlos Gracie. So when, when, when I met them, it was, it was just like, wow, I was like so starstruck and everything. And I, I, I wanted to you know, ask him so many questions, but I was just there like this. <laughs> um, so, you know, eventually they, they would teach me their techniques. But then, uh, uh, you, know, I, I, you know, I was a young punk that time. I was already instructing a lot of martial arts. So, you know, I wanted to have an exchange of knowledge. I wanted him to see how good of a fighter I was and everything. So what I did was I, I, um, I booked a private with, one of, with, with Hoist, hoping to be able to challenge him and show him what's up. And then what happened was a purple belt showed up. And I said, wow, why is a purple belt here? What's he going to teach me? This is nothing. This is a purple belt. So, so I told the purple belt, you know, you don't have to teach me. Let's just spar. Hmm. So after that, after first one round, he beat me. It's like, oh, maybe I'm just jet lagged. But after that, I just kept going and going and going. Probably tapped me out 14 times. And that was there when I felt the power and beauty of jiu-jitsu. And I said, wow, I have to learn this. Because all of my martial arts until this time was like totally useless. If he put me on the ground, it was totally useless. I couldn't do anything. I said, this is something I really have to learn. Wow. And I never stopped learning. And how long did it take you to get a grasp of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu? Well, until now, I'm still trying to get the grasp of uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Um, I've been doing Jiu-Jitsu for about 27 years now. And I'm, I'm still trying to get a grasp on it. Um, I know the general principles, the general theories. I can produce champions. I, I, you know, I've been a champion myself. I produced the most uh, national and international champions combined in Asia for our country, but uh, I'm still trying to get a grasp because there's a lot, there's so much more to learn. You, when, you, when you see it and you really get deep to it, there's just so much more to learn. All right. But how, how long did it take before you got the, the black belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu? Okay, it took me about 14 years. 14 years. Well, one of the reasons why is because um, we didn't really have a black belt here to have to travel back and forth. Mm-hmm. But uh, people seem to think, uh, like even here right now, now uh, nowadays, people think that just because you're a black belt, you know, you, that's it, that's the end. They don't know. Having the black belt is just the beginning because that's the last belt you're ever going to have and that's the belt you're going to be judged with. People aren't going to remember what you did, blue, purple, brown. They're going to remember what you did as a black belt because that's when it really counts. So whether you become a good competitor, a good instructor, a better person, that's what really counts. So a lot of people... Uh, get their black belts and they walk around they think they're gods but with no credibility just because they got their black belt so there's, that's different so you, you have to make sure that when you get a black belt you have to understand that's when you can start understanding your martial art now that you have the tools now you can better learn now you can create the message and make a better 
message for all of your students and everybody else around you to help you get who help you get your black belt. And the only way to get a black belt is do you have to go through the Gracies or the Okay. Um, a lot of people think that the Gracies were the only ones taught by Maeda in Brazil. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, what happened was there were a lot of other families who were taught jiu-jitsu in Brazil. The Gracies were just the most popular, you know, the most uh, out there people. Now, um, once, let's say, for example, uh, the Gracie gives somebody else a black belt, that somebody can give somebody else a black belt. You don't have to go to the Gracies anymore. Um, I got my... I got my blue belt from Hoyes after two days. I got uh, my four stripes of my blue belt after two weeks from Hoyes and Kaike. And then after that, I finished uh, all my belts with Kazaki Muniz after that, uh, purple, brown, black. Then when I got to me to be a black belt, um, I went back with Hoyler and Saulo and Sanjay. And then I've been with them ever since. We've been together for about uh, more than a decade already. Very, very happy with the results. You've seen... You, you know, when I, when I started training with Saulo and Sanjay, it's like, wow, this is when I began to really, really understand, like, you know, um, hardcore jiu-jitsu <laughs> and uh, never look back. Wow. All right. All right. So you've been giving other people black belts also now? Yes. Actually, I, I, have, a lot of, I have a lot of black belts already here in the Philippines, the first one being Pichon Garcia. Now, um, there, there's this thing though. When when you give somebody a black belt in jujitsu, it's you're giving him a part of yourself because to be to to be able to make somebody else good, you know, in jujitsu especially, you have to be really close to the person because you you you're there with them for years. You're mentoring them. You're teaching them. You always want the best for them and everything. So, you know, it's a it's a very intimate thing to be able to give your black belt to somebody. It means something. Now, of course, there's some times where, you know, people turn out to be a disappointment, which is just the risk of the warrior's, the warrior's love. The warrior's love is like this. You teach somebody else all of your secrets. As much as possible, you try to make him as good as you're even better. You teach him all of your warrior's secrets. That's the warrior's love. But in the back of your head, you have to hope that he doesn't betray you. And there have been people that betrayed me. I mean, that's fine. Yeah, what do you call that? They're, nobody will remember their legacy anymore. But uh, not just because they betrayed me. It's because when they became black belts, they forgot what it is to become a black belt. So, example, a lot of people, when they go into jiu-jitsu, white belt, they have all the swag. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. First day, two days. First two days, when they finally spar, oh, my God. I am nothing. I know nothing. Then they learn to be humble. After that, when they get to be blue belt, okay, okay. We're a little bit more comfortable. Purple belt, even more comfortable. And some people don't just become humble. What they do is they hide their true selves. And their true selves can't wait to come out until they become a black belt. And after that, what happens is you created a monster. Somebody who doesn't have, you know, does not, does not check himself, does not check his ego. Plus, he has a black belt. So these are the type of black belts that walk around, you know, walk around with a black belt and an ego, but with no credibility whatsoever. And, you know, I have to make sure our students don't end up like that. Um, among all of my black belts, and I've, I've graduated the most in black belts in Southeast Asia, only three have been disappointments. But everybody else, you know, you know have spread the message really, really well. And I'm so, so proud of them. Okay. All right. So just a follow-up question. When you say they betrayed you or they become disappointments, was there anything specific that you can share? Oh, sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. Okay. 
well, what happens is, well, um, well, you know, there's other people when they cannot beat you and, and they're in, and uh, they, you know, there's some people that when they can't beat you, they cannot be you or they aspire to be you, but they don't want to put in the work. They will try to do something behind your back. They say shit. They try to destroy you. They try, they try to uh, go behind your back, do crooked stuff to sabotage you. You know, people like that. I mean, I mean with us here at DefTac, it's, it's, it's very, very simple. We all move in one direction. We only want the best for our students and best for everybody else to make ourselves and everybody else around us better. Now, if you're not with it, then go fine, leave. Uh, I mean, but some people, they don't understand that, you know. Oh, they're only like this. They always have an excuse why we're better than them or they always have an excuse why we win and they don't. So, you know, what people do to hide their shortcomings is they try to destroy you. And when that happens, I feel that's a betrayal. So I just, you know, leave. <laughs> Bye. To be a black dog, it takes a long time. 14 years, some are even longer. Some are shorter. You know, it depends also on the circumstances and the ability and the learning process. But, um, but uh, you know, when, uh, when, when people have a black belt, that's what you're going to be eventually judged for. All right. Do you have any guiding principles or core values when you when you teach these people? Oh yeah, okay. Well, we have our, well, we have our thing is number one is the loyalty. And uh, number two is we always have to take care of one another. Now you're there, you're there in the gym, you're there, you're there as part of the team to make yourself better and make everybody else around you better. We, re- we really are, we really take care of each other like family. This is not like a hashtag. Like I, I see so many teams here, like hashtag family. <laughs> I mean, I mean, uh, you know, I, I see it all over the world. It's family, family, but we're really family. Um, a lot of us in the team have been together, you know, through life and actual life and death situations. And, uh, you know, I, I've, I've seen it and, uh, you know, um, they're proven and we've been through so much together. And that's why the team, the core of the team is always at its strongest because it's, we're surrounded by people who we've trusted, who have, you know, who've gone through the same path I have, whether that's good or it's bad. And um, because of that, you know, they, they were able to, you know, to help so many people achieve their goals in the martial arts. So I'm very, very happy with that. All right. All right. All right. So let's, let's try to go into the business side. Sure. So, sure. All right. So this is a, a passion of yours, of course, martial arts. So how did you turn your passion into a business? Of course, you have URCC, you have DevTac, you have the Banff MMA Center. How did you turn all of your knowledge into starting businesses here in the Philippines? Okay, well, it wasn't easy. To tell you honestly, um, I had my first business when I was 19 years old. Okay, so in college, I put up two businesses right away because um, I remember one day, my dad uh, made me do a summer working in SGB, you know, so I could see the corporate world and stuff. And uh, not for anything. I mean, no offense to the corporate people or anything. I mean, I have so many friends and everybody. But when I was there, I was like, oh, my God, these people are dead. They're like the walking dead. I mean, they just, you know, they, they're here in the morning. They bitch about their work. And then, uh, you know, they try to be happy. I see them back talk about each other all the whole day. I say, my God, what a, what a, you know, this is an environment I'm never going to be in. And then, you know, and then I, I, I saw that, you know, a lot of the times, your progress depends on somewhere, someone else. So I said, oh my God, I can't have this. 
So, you know, 19 years old, I had to put up my own business. So I had a food business and I had a security agency. So from there, I was already pretty set. Okay, I was pretty set. Even by today's standards, I was pretty set. Uh, you know, these are like idiot-proof businesses that I put up. And then uh, they're making a lot of money. And then you're 19 years old, you're single, and you have a lot of money. Guess what you do with it? <laughs> you, you know, all you do is just throw it out. Right? <laughs> so, um, of course, you know, being young, you had a little bit of an ego. So, you know, we'd always spend too much, party too much and everything. But then to the process, um, you know, I, I was doing martial arts. And he said, you know, this is something I want to do. So I have to marry making money with martial arts. If not, you know. Well, what am I going to do? I can't do this. And if you notice, here and anywhere else in the world, martial artists have the largest egos, but are the brokest motherfuckers. <laughs> so I didn't want to be one of those. Okay. okay? Now, um, a lot of people, the, one of the reasons why a lot of people here in the martial arts don't really succeed it's because they treat their martial arts gyms, their martial arts businesses as a hobby. Now, if you treat your business like a hobby, it's going to pay you like a hobby. But if you treat it like a business, then it will come back to you in a, as a real business. So there. <laughs> All right. So did, did you learn anything from martial arts that taught you about business? Okay, yeah, a lot. Um, you know, number one is working hard. Number two is dealing with failure. You know, having an aspiration of what you have to be and what it takes to get there. Because the first thing with, with anything, right, is um, this is what I do, okay? I do, I do a lot of visualization, even when I fight, okay? When I fight, prepare for a comp, or when I prepare for my students, okay? I visualize that we're already there on the day itself. And I visualize whatever the opponent can do to him or me, okay? And I visualize what I'm doing to him and how I'm winning. Now, how am I supposed to get that? How am I supposed to be able to do that at that right, right at that exact moment? And how am I supposed to make sure that this guy cannot do anything to actually stop me? I have to be that strong. Now, to be that strong, I got to prepare and I got to go back. So I start from here. How strong do I have to be? What do I have to do to be here? So I applied that when it came to business. So I always had this goal, okay? So what do I have to do to get here, okay? I want, I want this. So what do I have to do to be here? Who do I have to talk to? Who do I have to meet? Who do I have to, you know, tie up with? You know, so I, so I always go backwards, and then that's how I go. So I got that from the martial arts. And, you know, so far it's been working, but, uh, you know, there's always ups and downs. You know, in, in business, business is exactly like jiu-jitsu also. In jiu-jitsu, one day, you think you're the king of the hill. You're tapping everybody, you know, in the gym. Then all of a sudden, when you go to another tournament, you lose. Like, oh, man, I suck, I suck, I suck. And after that, you go back to another tournament, you win. Yeah, I'm the best. After the next day, somebody taps you out. Oh, I suck. So you have to be able to ride the wave. That's the same thing in business, especially with your own business. There's always something that's going to happen. You just have to be able to, you know, deal with it. So, you know, in business, one day, everything's doing well. The next day, oh, like, for example, this year, I had so many plans. Everything was all good. Kasanayan, uh, all of a sudden, COVID happens. Oh, wow. I'm not going to cry. And, you know, I, I, I always look for the positive in things. And, you know, when, uh, when there's a problem, I don't go, oh, no, there's a problem. I don't do that. Because okay? mm -hmm. I've been through a lot. I've been through everything. So when, when I hear about a problem, 
or I see a problem, I always think about the solution. I don't think about the problem itself. I don't dwell on that. I think about the solution. And then problems are just, you know, are just really a way of telling you that you just have to give a little bit more attention to that specific thing. All right. All right. So of course you trained with the with the founder of UFC. And how much how much did that influence your decision making into URCC? Okay. Well, we always used to do this. We used to have underground fights a lot, even before the UFC happened. That's in a lot. I went to them, a lot of my students did. So it was like pretty common here. So when I saw them do it in the States, I said, well, if you can do that in the States, and we, we were already having underground challenges and everything. And sometimes the underground challenges in typical Pinoy cannot accept that they lose. When they lose, Babawi in some other way. And of course, it's just a wheel. Eh? When, when you fight, it's always a wheel. So they come in, you know, Babawi Sila, then you come back with sticks, they come back with knives, then you come back with bats, they come back with guns, and you come back with guns, then the wheel keeps turning and turning and turning. And you're not fighting for anything. Because before we just fought for pride, totally no money, it was just pride. That kind of thing. So I saw him make it legitimate in the States. So I said, okay, if you can do it there, then you know, we're doing it here anyway for nothing. So we might as well make a business out of it. And, you know, and we started. I expected 500 people to show up in the URCC and 5,000 people showed up and we've never stopped. We're now Asia's uh, longest running MMA promotion. Congrats. Congratulations. Thank you. All right. So before that, were there any particular combat sports that you were trying to mimic, that you, you were trying to copy the or apply the business models of different combat sports before. well before that okay before that i had a um okay I, I had a gym our thing was well we'll enter this tournament and if we beat people here um you know we're champions here everybody will see that we're the best and they will go so we entered all sorts of tournaments we kicked everyone's ass here in the philippines and after that we'd see hey how come nothing happened to our enrollment People are still training there. They're still training there. And I'd see the most god-awful martial artists with so many students. Then I was like, what the hell's happening here? That's when it struck me. And then I did some reading that martial arts, you're not in the business of martial arts. Okay, of course, you have to get to a certain level to be legit. Okay? But the martial arts business model, so I hope everybody you know, gets, a, you know, gets a little taste of this, is it's basically all marketing and sales. Mm-hmm. It's all marketing and sales. Nobody wanted to train with us because they thought we were all goons. You had to be a frat member to go in. My girlfriend right now, my partner in life, me, didn't want to train with us at first. She wanted to train with us ever since. She saw us always winning, but everyone would tell her, no, you have to be a fraternity member. You have to be a gangster or something like that. We'd always have these you know, weird connotations about us. You know? So um, number one is marketing. So you have to get your message out there, show them, you know, what kind of benefits you can give to everybody else. And another one is sales. So, so many sweet talking martial artists, but didn't, you know, didn't have anything to show. The reason why they had a lot of students was they would be, they would be such sweet talkers and, you know, they had sales and marketing skills that I never had. I had to learn all of that from scratch. But, you know, it all panned out because, you know, when I, when I got down to it, I learned about retention, sales, marketing dealing with people, dealing with egos, dealing with objections. When I finally got out of that, you know, we turned out, you know, DefTAC became this huge. Now we're Asia's largest jiu-jitsu team. So pretty happy with all of that. <laughs> all right. So in terms of marketing and sales, do you have any 
any specific strategies that you were trying to employ back then and until now? Uh, well, back then it was like I said, you know, we kick everyone's ass and then, you know, maybe <laughs> people would come in. But then now our, our, our marketing thing, our messages, you know, whatever, whatever you want, whatever goals you want to achieve, once you enter our gyms, tell us and we'll make it happen. That can be self-defense. It can be just to get fit. It can be competition. It's just to be have, you know, camaraderie with everybody. So whatever you want, you know, you tell us when we'll give you the benefits that you want. So our marketing message is that right now. And then we make sure it's, you know, it's worked for us. And we really mean it. We really make sure that our students, you know, get everything they want. So there, there, um, there are a lot of people that uh, when, they, when they join like other clubs, oh, when you join here, you, you know, what, instead, of, instead of focusing on the students and focusing on everything else, they're always focusing on, on, the, on another team. Let's say, for example, us. Oh, those deaf tech people, they're like only this because you're, they're this, they're this. They always have an excuse. But we don't do that. We have blinders. It's always blinders this way. Just take care of our own. We make sure that we give them the best, best possible uh, training, care, and environment to be able to succeed. And you know, we've been very, very successful with that. All right. So you 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 are handling a lot right now, actually. So you have your mm -hmm. you have DevTac, you have you have the Wrestling Association, you have all of these. How do you manage your time, and how do you pay attention to all of your your businesses and all your even family? Oh, yeah. Well, it's like this. Okay. Um, number one, this is my passion. All of this is my passion. Okay. I'm in wrestling because I've been wrestling before. The wrestlers helped me. And I have to uplift wrestling. Okay. Now, we, we've already made great strides. You know, wrestling has done what nobody else has done before now that we're there. You know, we've created more champions than anybody else. So, um, it's my passion to do all of this. That's why it doesn't look like work for me. You know, it's just like, it, it's almost like um, a kid in an ice cream store. Oh, I like this flavor, this flavor, this flavor. It's like that for me. I mean, I love, you know, helping out in wrestling, you know, leading, leading the charge, making everybody better. I, I love hanging out with our deaf tech guys, teaching them. You know, I, I love promoting the fights. I mean, these are things that I absolutely love. So it's not work for me. I mean, sometimes, you know, it, maybe it gets people say, oh, you can't, you cannot, uh, you cannot uh, do. Focus, sorry. You can. Yeah. You, you, um, no, they always say, "What's this?" You cannot do justice to that if you're doing this, 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 this. But regardless of what people say, uh, results are the ones that matter, right? I mean, you look at wrestling, look at DefTAC, look at URCC. You know, we're here, <laughs> and we're not just surviving; we're thriving. All right, and at the same time, it's not just. It's not like you're doing different businesses from different industries. Like you still yeah. have a core, which is really it's pretty much the same. It's all the same. Yeah. All right. All right. That's, that's good. All right. So, I have another question regarding business. How competitive is this type of industry? And I'm not talking about competition in terms of uh, people fighting each other in the ring, but competition in this industry. Uh, of course, you have a lot of competitors here in the Philippines. You have. Uh, 1FC, PXC. So how are, you, how are you dealing with the competition? Okay. Um, it's like this. Well, when, when if you're a real mixed martial artist or a mixed martial arts fan, it's not like if I watch this, I'm not going to watch this. 
Mm-hmm. So people would always think, oh, just because I watch UFC, I won't watch this, 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 this. It's not like that. They, they watch everything, right? But um, I've been, uh, you know, when, I, when the URCC first came out, you know, there are a lot of rich families, rich people, foreign promoters, everybody and their mother tried to come here and sink me. When they came in, their job was, oh, that's URCC there. We got to get rid of that guy. You know, we're going to come in here. We're in the Philippines. You're going to be the next big thing. And Alvin in the URCC will be nowhere. Okay. So that started, um, well, there's so many, so many promotions tried, you know, so many promotions tried and then they're all gone now. Even this one FC right now, I've been telling, you know, I was supposed to be, they were supposed to be a partners. I was the one who brought one FC here to the Philippines. Do you know that? People don't know that. Um, they, they even use my promoter's license for them to have, you know, stuff, uh, the first event here. But when I noticed what they were doing about, you know, how they, had a, how they were just running a Ponzi scheme, a half Ponzi scheme and half money laundering, I'm going to disassociate from, this, from these people. And then um, people said, oh, why did you do that? You know, you're crazy. These people have money. They're powerful. No, they're not. I knew them. You know, you, you know you, just because you duped a couple of investors doesn't mean, uh, doesn't mean, you know, uh, give you carte blanche to do this and say this, whatever. I mean, everything that you say and do has to be backed up with substance. And, uh, you know, people didn't believe me all these years until finally it came out the other day that they, uh, you know, they lost $120 million of their investment. They're, they're, the people who invested in them, they lost $120 million. So, you know, and that's just the start. I mean, that's not just $120 million they lost. I mean, but the reason why I'm saying this is people like this in the industry make it bad for everybody else. So let's say, for example, I wanted to get an investor. Oh no, you maybe you're trying to do a one FC trying to get my money and run. So, you know, it's really, really terrible because a lot of, a lot of promotions try to be UFC right away. And um, people don't know that the UFC is backed by one of the richest financiers in the world. So, you know, they can afford to spend like that. And the UFC has been around. I mean, they, you know, the growing pains of UFC is something else, you know, from Horian Gracie to SEG to the Fertitta brothers to what it is right now. I mean, there's a lot of up and downs. So, you know, um, uh, these, these are, these, uh, yeah, <laughs> sorry, I lost my train of thought, but yeah. <laughs> you know why? Because there's so much I want to say, but it's got to be guarded by it. Yeah. Uh, what do you call it? I know this is a business show and I, I, I don't want to, you know, <laughs> so basically you're you're for this term we call co-opetition so mm-hmm. you're you're competing but also you you wanted to be friends with them <laughs> but of you course they, they weren't responding that's it insane. you know pe- these people don't know what it's like to have a real enemy i've had a real enemy who tried to shoot me and i tried to shoot them they tried to kill me i tried to kill them i mean when, when you're there and that's in that point that's a real enemy I mean, but then, you know, if, if you want to, you know, if you want to mess with me about business and stuff, you know, there's, there's, the pie is so huge. Okay. And competition makes everybody better. Uh, keeps you on your toes. So let's say if I was by myself, the URCC here, then, you know, you know, just being human and, you know, we have people around us, uh, you know, we wouldn't, we wouldn't be on our toes. We need somebody to always, you know, push us to always be better, to always be better. I mean, I think that's healthy, but when, but when another promotion tries deliberately to destroy you the way all of these other promotions did, I said all of the promotions that came here, try, all the foreign promotions, all, uh, walang isa na hindi, all 
tried to do something to you know sink me from paying from paying um, officials from to paying uh, the press to paying these people as andame they tried all sorts of shit but uh, you know himaganyan yan ang hindi pwede that's why I'm really gonna fight you about it just like anybody else but you uh, know I mean people don't understand the pie is so big okay you know make your own path you don't have to push anybody out of the way Alright. That, that goes for any business also. I agree. Wow. Okay. So, for URCC, do you have any master plan? Do you have the a big goal that you want URCC to achieve sometime in well, the future? Okay. We've already had events in the US and events in China. Uh, we've had about four events in the US. Right? I had one event in Beijing, China when I was in partnership with the Chinese government itself. Okay. So, we were shown on CCTV there. I actually, I even read uh, Duterte's message there. <laughs> I was the one reading it. And while I was reading it, the, the Chinese guy, the Chinese interpreter was, you know, interpreting, <laughs> was, was, was the interpreter. Um, okay, our, our plans right now is to make sure that we still showcase Filipino mixed martial artists to the world. Okay. Now, as we're doing that, we're going to be picking up a lot of other talents around Asia. Uh, we already have partnerships in so many countries around Asia. Okay, uh, we will be doing a lot of shows also. The Middle East is we're still fixing that one up, but um, around Asia we're pretty much covered. And then we're gonna we're gonna continue our U.S. shows. We were actually supposed to have a show this year in Vegas for the URCC, um, but yeah, you know how things happen. So <laughs> that's okay. I mean, you know, everything happens for a reason. And I think this thing this thing that happened to all of us, I think it's the world resetting. No, the world had to do a small reset just to show everybody where you're at, what's important, what's really, really essential. And, uh, you know, there's so many lessons to be learned there. And if we didn't learn any lessons and we just walked away from this and, you know, got depressed, then, you know, we didn't get the best of this. All right. All right. So that's one of the main topics that we, we also want to talk about, which is how to adjust to the new normal. But before we go to that, Uh, I noticed another strength of yours. You have a lot of partners and you've been able to talk to, let's say, yun nga, yung Chinese government. What, do you have any techniques or secrets or personalities that you have that made you be able to reach out to these people from far, far away? Okay, well, to be able to do that, of course, I had to have some credibility, okay? But a lot of these people didn't know me. Um, no, just be confident in yourself when you approach these people. And don't be afraid to make a mistake. I mean, all these guys who became billionaires, they made so many, you know, they made so many mistakes coming up. It's not like they didn't make any mistakes. So now if I made a mistake, you know, if I pushed too hard or I didn't do this enough, and you know, um, you know I, I'm not scared about making mistakes because, you know, I'll learn from the mistake. But if I make it again, that's when I really have to be, you know, <laughs> mad at myself. So I'm not afraid to make mistakes. That's number one. And always keep your word. Everything you say, you have to do. Because if you don't, then why will I deal with you? But then, you know, this, this actually was a big flaw of mine when I first started business. I never had contracts with anybody. Okay? Because my thing was, if I have to have a contract with you, that means I don't trust you. And if I don't trust you, why should I have to be in business with you? And you know what happened there? I got fucked over so many times. <laughs> so, regardless of who it is, 
make sure you have a contract because even with a contract, hindi pa sigurado yan. When you have a contract with somebody, then that means if he, if he doesn't fulfill his obligations, okay, that means you just have to go to court. And then when you go to court, you know, it can take 10, 10 15 years. Wala pa rin mangyari, di ba? So, just be very, very careful and always have a contract so kahit papano you're backed up. Is there any particular experience you've had where you, you didn't have a contract and somebody took advantage of that? Oh, yeah. So many times. I, I can't even count. And my, you know, my, my father would always say, I told you, you have to have a contract. And then you know, I'd always tell my dad, no, 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 I trust these guys. No, there's no such thing. There's no such thing. And I thought, no, Pop, I trust this guy. You know, it's not like your time. No. And there's no time time. It's still like this until now. And, you know, I should have listened. You know, my, my, my father, my father is, you know, one of my idols growing up. You know, he, he you know, this guy's a student body president, ROTC, uh, head commandant in uh, La Salle. He's the SC president there. Then he went to AIM and then he went to Harvard. You know, you know he's really, really, you know, boom this way in education and you know he's good in uh he's good in the corporate world he's had a beautiful successful career there you know and that's why we were able to you know get all of these things that uh, he was able to give us you know the education um you know the lessons and everything so he said the times so i should have listened to him and it cost me a lot of money that i didn't all right all right so let's go back to the topic of the new normal of course um this is one of the industries that are really hit by uh, the current uh, health crisis. So what does the new normal look like for URCC, for DEFTAC, for BAMF? Okay. Well, I'm not going to lie to you that it's, uh, you know, it hurts because we're not making any money, right? Now, but the thing is, is like this, okay? Um, the only constant thing in life is change. Mm-hmm. And the people who don't know how to adapt to change are the ones who's going to get left behind or just die out. So, of course, we had to switch everything. You know, we've done online lessons already. We've switched it up. Now, for the URCC, uh, we're going to, whether or not uh, we're allowed to have, you know, big public events, we're going to push through with private events that we're going to stream everywhere anyway. So, you know, the URCC is never going to go out of style. We're always going to be there. And uh, we have beautiful formats again. Again, like I said, we're not like the other MMA promotions that you know saw UFC and said, "Gaya nkiya natin yan." We have so many different formats under URCC, and uh, we're going to be doing that. Um, when it, at first, you know, we thought it was just going to be two weeks, then three weeks, and one month, and then it was like two months and parang tagal na. Then after that, you know, we saw so many people getting depressed. You know, they, they weren't able to eat. You know, walang perang kinikita. We all had to adjust. Okay, um, if you don't adjust, you don't know how to. Uh, adapt to the new normal, then maiwan ka. So for everybody, that means you have to get out of your comfort zone. If you have to start from scratch, start from scratch. I mean, that's how life is. Sometimes because uh, we, we hold ourselves back because of our pride. So like so you asked me a while ago also, what is it I have when I talk to people to be able to reach this, that, that? It's because I don't let my pride hold me back. I'm not afraid to make mistakes. I mean, I'm very guarded with what I say. But when I say something and then I make a mistake, then okay, I'll take it. I make sure I, won't do it, I don't do it again. And that's how life should be. All right. All right, all right, sir. So before, I, when I was in high school, I, I enrolled in your in Banff MMA Center. And of course, from then on, I've, I've heard about your name and I've heard about a lot of things about you. 
because you're you're basically a legend for a lot of people and some i i, I even heard someone say that you're the bruce lee of the philippines would you would you agree to that well no bruce lee's on a, you know bruce lee was one of my idols growing up um i adopted a lot of a lot of his thinking a lot of his thinking in you know in my martial arts journey uh you know but um well i'm i'm, I'm not a, i'm not a movie star so i can't be bruce lee <laughs> <laughs> so that's the only difference <laughs> all right so in relation to that I, very well. <laughs> <laughs> okay so in relation to that of course i heard a lot of things and of course before this you are a family guy now and i love seeing your family in instagram it's very very family oriented person so before this of course you've had a lot of experience fighting as well not only inside the ring or professionally i've heard the story most about of, most of, okay most of it was outside the ring <laughs> 9.9%. Oh, wow. <laughs> okay, so with that, I heard this story wherein four of you fought with 18 people in, in an elevator. And I, I'm trying to look for the source, but I couldn't find it anymore. But is, is there any truth to this story? Okay, it wasn't an elevator. Okay, what happened was... One, two... There's five of us. Mm-hmm. Okay. What happened was, we went inside a party. Mm-hmm. Okay, we went to a party. Now, before, uh, I don't know, maybe before it was okay to crash parties because because everybody would crash my party, I would crash theirs. You know, <laughs> during during our time, at least in the nineties. So anyway, um, we went to this house party, and there's so many people. I said so many people inside. And then one of the, this guy who's with us decides to pick a fight. And, you know, we told him, don't fight here because these aren't, this, you know, we're, we're, we're just crashing here, basically. Yeah. And he kept on, he kept on. And then when he started to fight with the guy, of course, he beat up the guy. So I go, let's go, let's go, let's get out of here. As soon as, as, soon as he beat up the guy, the guy ran up to the party. And then more than 20 plus people just re- went down and just charged us. You know, I felt bad because um, I felt bad because after, well, you know, during the fight, of course, we had to fight. But then, you know, years later, I felt bad because these people, you know, weren't, didn't know us because, you know, I, I was this payatot na, people called me payatot na tisoy, di ba maruma pagawayan, they would say stuff like that. But that's probably what I look like. So a lot of people charged me. Um, they charged us with knives also. And um, we ended up putting about, 15 people in the hospital, 15 or 16. And then uh, when we went to the police station, of course, those 16 were complainants. They were complaining against five. Now, of course, we had, uh, you know, we had court cases and stuff, and it lasted long, very, very long, more than 20 years, that case. You know, the, I, I had um, cases of, what's that, frustrated homicide, you know, serious, serious, serious. It was really crazy. And, um, Believe it or not, those guys ended up becoming our friends. But still, I mean, you know, we had to go through all of this. And, uh, you know, I just wish that didn't happen. It was all because of that one guy with us. So that, that, that again, is another example of, you know, just because, you know, you're made powerful doesn't mean um, you're, only made, okay, you're only made powerful for a certain time so you can help everybody else around you. Okay? But when you start abusing that, that's when it's going to come back to you. So 
this guy who was with us decided to abuse his power because he was our student. He thought he was all big and bad. And he created an even bigger problem for all of us. And uh, it was really, really terrible. But then, you know, that, that, that's uh, one of the stories. Um, you know, even if, even, well, during, during those times, it was a big thing because you beat up a lot of people just being five. But then uh, that's, that's one uh, incident I'm not particularly proud of. <laughs> and when was Other than I am. <laughs> all right when did this happen is it uh college days after college or yeah so college days college days we we would get into fights about three or four times a week maybe usually once a day um because in the 90s it was different i mean you know there was no social media you know people were snowflakes then uh now there's too many snowflakes everyone's trying to be PC everyone's sensitive there's no CCTVs also there's no social media everybody just went out to get drunk to get girls or get into fights now during those times um, also there were a lot of frat bars so I was the head of the frat and I wasn't just the head of the frat I was the head of my martial arts group which also had their own enemies so can you just imagine I got, I got the brunt of both so you know, okay, when, what's this fight about? Oh, this is about martial arts. Okay, what's this fight about? Oh, it's about the frat. Okay, what's this fight about? It was like that. So I, had, I, I got the worst of it, being the, you know, the head of both. And, and remember, I was, you know, martial arts at that time had no place to showcase their skills except the street or underground fights. And I wanted to be the best. So I had to do it everything. <laughs> wow, okay. What would you say about the, the fight culture back then versus the fight culture now? Okay, right now, the, you know, the kids are better technically. They're all better technically because there's no better training. Um, there's, there's more experience and more techniques out right now, better training uh, methods. But before, what I liked about before was people didn't fight for money, didn't fight for fame, didn't fight for Facebook or Instagram or TikTok. Um, people fought for themselves as martial artists. Now, people fought to be able to tell themselves and look themselves in the mirror and say, I did this. And that was it. Now, everybody thinks they're Conor McGregor. Oh, look at me training. I'm lifting weights. Oh, look at me doing this, which is also one of the reasons why uh, our, our mixed martial artists are going down because they believe in, the, you know, as a fighter, you have to believe in yourself always, of course, right? But when you believe in yourself too much, that's when you start going down. So just like the saying goes, when you start believing in your legend, you will never be a legend. All right. Ganda, ganda. Okay. <laughs> so have you, any, have you heard any weird rumor about yourself? Um, I've heard so many. I don't even know where to start. <laughs> Tell me what you heard if you have any. Well, I know what Of course, mostly fight or... Yeah, fights. I know you're yeah. very anonymous, open with it. You, you oh, okay. I'll tell you. I'll tell you one. I'll tell you one. Okay. Uh, one rumor was, uh, what what do you call that? I worship a different god, <laughs> and I hypnotize people. It's like wow. <laughs> you know, if 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 I <laughs> if I could hypnotize people, I wouldn't have to go through all the shit I went through. <laughs> I just <laughs> so. So there, uh, yeah, that was the weirdest rumor I heard. Oh, another one was uh, that I have a kid in, in the province. Oh. 
she. <laughs> Imagine that, right? But you know, I, I don't. I, I, I... <laughs> um, when was the last time you fought in the ring or professionally? Well, the last time I competed, you mean? Well, I, you know, during my time, there's no professional um, leagues. Everything was underground. So I never got to fight like professionally the way you see right now. But um, like the last time I competed was Jiu Jitsu was in 2016 in Japan, mm-hmm. in the All Asian Championship there. Um, I beat all the Japanese in Jiu Jitsu in Japan. That was a beautiful day. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't just beat them, I really beat them. <laughs> So those are good days. I only had about the, I I only had about uh, two scored me the whole tournament. So I was very happy with my performance. And what was what was um, the best about it that day was uh, I was able to do it in front of all of my students and all of my friends and family. They all watched it and they were all there live, and that was the best feeling ever. Wow. Congratulations, sir! Thank you, thank you. Do you like reading? books oh i love reading books that's all i do people don't know this all i do is read like when we go to the states everybody goes somewhere i go to the bookstore everybody go leave me in the bookstore i'll just be here the whole day i'm like the little nerd who's always looking at the books and stuff i'm always reading and stuff everybody you know um you know what the saying is right you're always the same person but you're not the same person after you read the books you read and the people you meet so those two are the ones that make a difference, uh, you know, about who you are and what you become. So me, it's just, you know, it's just a curiosity and this, this insane hunger to always learn. I said, I can't, like, at, at, at night when I sleep, I can't wait to learn the next technique the next day, get to, get to find out more about this concept the next day. I'm just, I just got to learn everything. I don't know if that's an obsession or being crazy or being insane, but then that's just me. <laughs> Do you have one particular book that changed your life or your perspective on things, martial arts or life or business? Well, there, I, I, I read a lot. Uh, well, the ones for marketing, the guys who really got me started in, you know, talking about marketing was Dan Kennedy. You know, I liked a lot of his stuff. You know, he was, his student, Lloyd Irvin, I, I, I studied under him also. I learned a lot of his stuff. And then, uh, of course, we have the we have the Robert Greene, we have the Napoleon Hill. I mean, these guys are all you know. They give you this. They they, they give you these tools and method of thinking. Now, dito palang, you know, before you go to the ground from the ground up, you have a good foundation. Oh, this is what I should do. Oh, okay. And then now it's when you start going. In. When you have a good foundation, that's when you start going into other things to be more specific about work. Um, you know, for the first. For a while, I, I remember there was this thing about law of attraction. I guess everybody heard that. The law of attraction, you know, um, thoughts plus emotion equals attraction. That's true. If you think about it, okay, you always feel about it, okay? Sometimes you attract it. But what makes you attractive is thoughts, emotions, and a lot of hard work. There's no such thing as sitting down and thinking about it and hoping the next day you'll have a, you'll have a jaguar in your front gate. I mean, you know, you got to... Think about it. You know, you have to have, the, you know, the drive. It has to be something that doesn't let you sleep at night. It has to be something that when you wake up the next day, you can't wait to get out of the bed because you want to get that. You want to work for it. You want to get it. And uh, that's how you attract things. 
Well, of course, we want to be respectful of your time. We're approaching the last two questions. So, okay. Uh, do you have any advice for those who would like to start a business or become an entrepreneur like you? Oh, okay. Well, the first thing is, remember, um, well, there's, there's two schools of thought there. Because one, one is, when you're, an, in, you're an entrepreneur, you, ha- you have to take so many risks. You have to have balls of steel, okay? And um, when everybody else is going on a vacation, you have no vacation. Everything that you do has to be in your head the whole time. No? Um, don't expect to be going to sleep and having a, when, when there's a long weekend when everybody's having fun, you're not because you're always going to be working. You have to be prepared for that kind of lifetime, I mean, that kind of a life. So, but if you work on it hard enough, later on you'll have your own time. Then you'll be the one kicking back and having fun. But then being an entrepreneur means like the first part and for the most part, all you're doing is working, working, and working and more work. Uh, never think that, you know, when you reach a certain level, it's going to stop. No, I've seen, I've seen, uh, you know, my, my dad used to work for Gokmui before and, you know, I was able to, you know, watch the guy, this guy. Okay, I, a quick story. This guy went, saw somebody selling, um, what's this, flavored ice. Mm-hmm. When he saw, he saw the guy walk with flavored ice, he was already computing how much the ice costs, how much the flavoring costs. I mean, you have to be like that if you want to be you know, an entrepreneur. But um, the best advice I could give would be, you know, don't be afraid to fail. Okay? Cause, and uh, you know, if you have a goal, don't let anybody tell you otherwise. Even if it's your family and your parents, you know, I, you can just imagine what my parents were telling me when I was thinking about fighting, martial arts and everything, you know, them being corporate people, you know. Um, so don't take anyone's advice. Just take your own advice. All right. So for the last question, sir, uh, of course, we are in a health crisis, health pandemic. Uh, if you had a message that you can convey to the world, what would it be? Ah, okay. Well, aside from the pandemic, more importantly, there's a lot of empty rhetoric going on in the U.S. and here, okay? So whatever you read, whatever you hear, you have to do your own research and make your own assumptions based on that. You cannot assume based on, you know, something you hear, read, see, because everybody else around us giving us this information has an agenda. Everything you see, all of that has an agenda, Everything you see in the newspapers, everything, you know, not newspapers anymore. It's social media and news. Every, everybody there has an agenda. So make sure you see through that and do your own, you know, educated uh, guess or educated uh, plans. Okay, now look at this time, this COVID thing, to, you know, determine what's important in your life, where you want to be. This is actually good because you have a time to reset yourself. I mean, you know, don't worry about getting hungry. Let them tayo nakagawa ng paraan eh. Okay? So, sabihin mo, oh, ikaw kasi madali mo sabihin yan kasi ganyan-ganyan. Hindi. I, whatever I have is what I work for. Uh, I mean, you know, um, there's no excuse for anybody to na, na maghirap. Can't blame anybody else except yourself. So, use this time to reset, you know, think things through. This is actually a good thing if you think about it because now that everybody's on standstill, you can think about what's important. You can plan ahead. And you can all come back 
much much stronger kasi now you all have the time to do things hindi magti-tiktok ka lang araw-araw di ba <laughs> all right thank you so much sir sobrang grabe daming value na nakuha from you maraming salamat thank you for educating our viewers thank you for grabe sobrang daming inspiration so sir before we end would you like you. our viewers to uh, check out something what would you like to promote what where can people find you Oh, all right. Well, I have a I have a YouTube channel that I started. Um, I, I like showing martial arts at work and techniques at work. So I started it uh, about a month ago. And uh, please follow my YouTube channel. It's called uh, Chief Nose. You know, or just search my name, Alvin Aguilar, on YouTube, and it's all there. You know, of course, I'd love it if you guys would subscribe also. And if you have any questions about or anything else you want me want to see or ask, you know, just, you know, plug away in the comments there and I'll do it. All right. Once again, thank you so much, Sir Alvin. Sobrang grabe. Ito yung favorite uh, session ko so far. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. That's it. Thank you for listening to the Deep Pockets by Investa podcast and stay tuned for our next episode.